This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Well, today, Monday the 26th of July, a 30,000-strong New Zealand Nurses Organisation member-led campaign is still on the brink of deciding again whether to strike or to accept a second multi-employer collective agreement offer put in by the DHBs. First offer from the DHBs was convincingly rejected following and uh, followed a strike uh, lasting eight hours. That second offer was put on the table with the proviso from the DHBs that the second planned strike action on the 29th of July was withdrawn. Well, it remains to be seen whether actions planned for the 19th of August and the 9th and 10th of September will go ahead. At this time, we take a moment to speak to one nurse to gain some insight into the day-to-day issues that she and others are facing, and just what it takes to live a nursing life. Joining me on the line now is Anne Daniels, an emergency department nurse with the Southern DHB. Kia ora, um, Anne, great to have you with us. Oh, hi. How are you? And I want to take you right back. I want to take you back in time to your entry into nursing. Um, Tell us about your decision uh, to do this, to follow this career path, and how long ago that was for you. Well, I really hate to say that it was over 40 years ago, so I've seen a huge amount of change over that time. And um, my decision to become a nurse was kind of... Um, helped along with my mother who said, what are you going to do after you finish college? And I had no idea and suddenly I was in nursing school. Um, Didn't know much about it at the time, but I grew to love it a lot. It's um, a place where you meet lots of amazing people in terms of your colleagues and you get to walk alongside um, people who are in desperate straits and need your help and you're privileged enough to actually do that. And um, how much how much time and training was there for you at that time? Well, it was interesting because we were actually on the cusp of um, going into uh, the universities at that time and there was a lot of angst about um, nursing going into universities and um, I remember some of my colleagues feeling it was not a good idea but it turns out it absolutely was. We needed to start um, becoming critical thinkers rather than the um, age-old idea of handmaidens, and um, we are well and truly there. So what I was doing when I was a registered nurse back in the 80s um, is more like a healthcare assistant now. Um, We certainly did uh, procedures and things like that, but today I work more like a doctor did in those days. I assess patients. I decide um, what tests they might need. Um, I help organise x-rays. Um, I work alongside in partnership with the doctors to um, decide what the initial treatment might be and um, very much work in a team environment. Um, sweaty. Um, so, yeah, things have changed a lot. My, for me, I did um, the so-called hospital-based training and then I went back to university and I now have a, a Master's of Health Science with Honours and a, a couple of postgrad 
diplomas alongside a lot of other things. Someone beginning their nursing training right now, Anne, that that, yep. that start would look very different from how it did for you? Very, very different. Um, my son just graduated um, last year as a nurse um, and he decided after spending his second job because he had to work two jobs for four children um, that he cared more about being a caregiver than he did his main job. So um, he has done three years of post, um, undergraduate training, which requires a lot of thinking, a lot of group work, a lot of communication, um, and has come out um, being a very much a critical thinker and somebody who um, puts the patient first. And I know this is going to be a question that a lot of our listeners are going to want to get their heads around, but when, when he starts in the job on day one, what, what kind of remuneration can he expect to start at? Less than a healthcare assistant in the community. Which is what? So that's around about $26 an hour, 26 28 That's with a degree and going straight into a situation where he's working in mental health um, which is severely understaffed, um, being quite responsible for the work that he does under supervision. When you started your life in nursing, what did you believe your prospects were for the career? Um, at that time, there weren't that many specialties. You could go into coronary care or, or respiratory nursing or district nursing or oncology. But now the world's your oyster. There's as many um, medical specialties as there are. There are nursing specialties. Um, right at the time I started, you could become a charge nurse um, or get married and have children and leave. You weren't allowed to stay if you got married and you had children. Things have changed a lot. But today, um, you can become a clinical nurse specialist, a nurse practitioner, a lot of nurses I know have actually um, decided to go into medicine, um, district nursing, public health, um, all the specialties, as I said, under medicine they can do as well. Um, we're highly independent and responsible um, and accountable um, practitioners in our own right. For yourself, Anne, has there ever been a time when you felt that you were adequately compensated and supported and that the workplace was running as a well-oiled machine? Oh, that's a difficult one because it's a two-barreled question. In terms of remuneration, there was a time um, early on in my career in the 80s when my husband was training to be a nurse and we were on one income. Um, which was mine, and I was able to work two night shifts a week, and we, with our two children, were able to survive on that. Today, I'm working ten times more than that. I'm earning ten times more than that, um, in comparatively, but probably not. Um, I struggle to make ends meet at the end of the um, fortnight. And the reason for that is, and I'm sure that a lot of mum and dads will relate to this, I have three sons. They've all struggled to get into housing and struggled to make ends meet. Um, so most of my pay goes out to help them. 
So, uh, yeah, it's really difficult out there. And I, my heart breaks for those who haven't got families who can't help them. Um, but if I was in Australia right now, um, with all my qualifications and experience, I would be on 120000 as a flat rate with all the penals and um, amazing education, full, fully funded, um, great holidays, amazing sick leave, um, great superannuation. We have none of that here. And they also have legislation to ensure that we have, uh, they have safe um, staffing so that their workloads are not too high, so that their patient care is not compromised. Recently. Sorry, yeah. and and I, I mean, I'm interested in why uh, there is this comparison with Australia. Is it just because they're next door neighbours and it makes it easier for someone who might be considering making a change to move to Australia? I mean, we we could make comparisons with nurses all over the world. You can do that, and that would be a very good idea. Um, and those comparisons are frequently made. The reason why we use Australia is, yes, they're our neighbours and they're easy to compare because um, like with like. Um, the fact is they do the same job and they get paid a hell of a lot more. They're respected for what they do and they're supported. Um, in this country, we don't have that. We are still very much second-class citizens and I honestly believe that's because we are mostly a female-dominated Profession, and it saddens me that despite all the legislation to say that we need to be treated equally, we're not. I'll give you an example of that. Our um, superannuation rate is two to three percent. Doctors get six percent. Um, police get twelve point five percent. So the more male-dominated you get, the more um, pay and conditions you get. Um, Police have 35 days sick leave. We have gone from five just, um, and hopefully with the new contract, we'll go up to 10 with five days discretionary leave. We're always lesser than, and considering that we have a huge um, investment in our qualifications and our skill base, just like the doctors are required to do under the Health Practitioners Act, we are paid less than a third. So one has to actually ask why that is. And after years and years and years and years, and I have been a delegate for all of those years, of promises from various governments and various employers, none of them have come to fruition. And we are not going to stop now. For the first time in all the time that I've been a delegate, I have never seen nurses so angry and so upset and so devalued, so demoralised. It is just incredible, the anger there and the passion to actually stand up for ourselves and no longer believe in the promises of those who think they know better. So the second part of my earlier question was around how you have uh, felt in terms of the way nurses are supported in the work that they do and in um, their perception of that whether the functionally the places in which they're working are working as as well as they can have you seen changes over the years in that regard as well absolutely there used to be a time when we could um, sit and talk with our patients and be with our patients we no longer have that 
And when I come to work, now I'm going to be very clear here, I work in the emergency department in Dunedin Hospital. We have a fabulous a fabulous boss and a, an incredible team that I would be quite happy to put my life in their hands. However, we struggle every day to do the job that we are required to do under the legislation and under our professional standards because our workloads are far too high. The demand is there and you know we have to do it. We have to try and find a way every single day. Every single day we struggle to actually do that and we hope every single day that a mistake isn't made. Every single day I walk down the corridors of the ED and see the people who have been waiting in, on beds and hard chairs for 8 to 12 hours just to be seen by a doctor after a nurse like me has done everything they can. But we're not allowed to diagnose and we're not allowed to actually treat or refer. So you know, the doctors do an incredible job. There's not enough of them either. Um, we don't have enough healthcare assistance. Um, if we didn't have the friends of the emergency um, from the St John's, we would absolutely fall over. We have a lot of support and we support each other really well, but we just don't have enough. And the public knows that we are always teetering on the edge of disaster. So when, when you talk about those pressures and you talk about um, hoping that you get through to the end of the day without something disastrous going wrong um, and... And and one would certainly hope that that doesn't happen. How, there is still pressure there. So how does the pressure manifest? What are you seeing in your colleagues? Um, exhaustion, sick leave um, being taken. Um, nurses are leaving this department because, and I'm talking mostly young ones now, that going to other um, options in nursing. Um, that are Monday to Friday um, and no weekends, no nights. Um, some nurses are leaving nursing altogether. Um, and then we have the international qualified nurses who have come over here on the um, belief that their husbands and family will join them. Um, and then COVID came and uh, the immigration minister is absolutely refusing to change the rule that requires them to prove that they've lived with their partner for three months. Why is this important? This is important because those nurses in this um, environment, work environment that we have, who have not seen their families for so long, are thinking about leaving and um, trying to help them with that right now. But the impact of that, if 13, we have approximately 13,000 international qualified nurses in the country at the moment, if even half of them left to go home and didn't come back, we, we're in trouble now. If they left, we would absolutely fall over. And the Minister of Health and the Minister of Immigration are absolutely in the front line of making those decisions not to help those nurses stay. So, yeah, the, the, the moral injury, which we call moral injury, of not being able to come to work and knowing... As soon as we walk in, we've got a 30 to 40 patients before we've even started in a in my department in a bed. Um, we've got 26 beds. We know that by the end of the day, we're going to be totally exhausted, emotionally drained and psychologically scarred by the stuff that we've needed to do just to keep things on an even keel. Okay, so we've heard uh, about 
pay equity. We've heard about the presses on the job. We've heard about um, the what seems to be an under-resourced sector. Um, these yeah. are huge issues. How do you bundle them together and create solutions? Well, pay equity is one thing that is um, a work in progress, and it is the money from that um, fund that's been put aside three years ago is now being used by the government and the DHBs to try and make us believe that we're about to have a pay rise, which comes back to our moral injury. We know that money's already there. It was promised to us three years ago. Um, and they are trying to uh, tell us that it is a pay rise, but it's not. They're offering us actually 2.5%, which is below inflation 3.3%. So that's adding to our um, angst. Um, in terms of putting it all together, pay equity is a really good start, but we need to have equitable conditions as well, like holiday, sick leave, um, superannuation, all those things that we've talked about. When we talk about pay, sorry, sorry, I just can finish. Yep. Um, in terms of safe staffing, they have the DHBs have offered us a um, an apology for not um, doing what they were supposed to do over the last fifteen years. Three years ago, they once again signed another piece of paper saying that they would have all our safe staffing in um, place by the 1st of July 2021. They're not even halfway there. So all of this means that nurses are actually going to have to stand up like true feminists that most of them are and actually demand things like um, legislation for safe staffing and safe work conditions. A lot of hospital nurses now uh, under the Health and Safety Act are putting together um, notice to improve to their DHBs and to the government and I believe that more will follow. So we're starting to become a little bit less naive in terms of hoping that the people who are in power will do right by us and taking the um, bull by the horns and doing it for ourselves and using the tools that are out there to do so. There might be some assumptions about about a couple of points here, and I wonder if you can articulate this for us. When we talk about equity, pay equity, with whom? Good question. We have no idea because um, the people who we are being compared with um, have agreed to allow that to happen on the basis that they rem their profession remains anonymous. We'd love to know too. But for the sake of making the um, process go ahead, we have to honour that. I would love to know myself, but I don't. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, the, it's been reported that the majority of your members are earning between sixty dollars and $100,000. What should they be earning? Well, as I said, I'm an expert nurse of many years. Um, I believe... We should be equitable with Australia up in terms of the New Zealand dollar. So for me, that would be 120000 Is that something that you see reflected in other parts of the workforce, reflecting equity with Australian pay? I do. Why should anybody anywhere in the world get paid less? 
um, for the same job? I, I just don't have an answer to that question. Um, and I'm a real believer in um, the idea of a high-pay, high-tax um, political situation. It works. Um, overseas in some Scandinavian countries, they have that. People pay high taxes. The things that we are scrabbling to find money for, um, are there's money there. Um, so the people in the community who are homeless, they get housed and they get wraparound services because the money is there. I think we need to, we're a small country, we need to do things differently. And um, I'm, a, I'm a real believer in um, the ability of New Zealanders to change. And I think that we really need to take that on board. And I honestly believe that we should actually take up the mantle of turning ourselves into a real clean, green um, uh, country to um, be standout like we used to in the 1970s and 1980s. And all of that would generate jobs. It would generate hope. It would actually help New Zealanders stand up and be loud and proud and be a real team of five million. Just finally, Anne, um, we know that the previously planned strike action for the 29th of July is now off the table, and that's because that was a, a requirement of you considering the second offer. But we don't yet know what's in store for the 19th of August. We don't yet know what's in store potentially for the 9th and 10th of September. How do you articulate the reasons for industrial action to someone looking in from the outside, someone who is not necessarily au fait with the complexities of um, the, the many points you've raised this morning, those who are waiting to be seen for an appointment or a, a surgery. How do you explain it? I think that's really, really good question. A lot of patients are waiting ridiculously long weeks and um, months for urgent care and uh, I believe the ODT has been very, very good in um, letting people know what the wait times are for urgent um, cancer treatment, for instance. Um, the reason why we're striking is because we want to turn this um, system around. At the moment, we are holding on by our fingernails. And that's not a good way to run a system. What we need to do, as, as you've said, we need to become a smooth um, a sailing system. We need to be able to have the capacity to take on all the extra um, uh, needs of the patients in our community. We've got no capacity to do that. We've got no fat in the system. We are fighting for all of those things. We're fighting for patient safety. We're fighting to actually um, help our patients get the treatment in the time and in the right place and in the right way that they should have. Um, it, we shouldn't be actually expecting um, public to actually start up private um, going concerns like the cancer um, facility down in Southland to actually make things work. The, you know, this goes back to what I'm saying before. We need a high tax high-pay um, um, political situation so that we can actually finance all of these things. So I say to those patients who are um, possibly going to have to have yet another delay when we, if we go out on strike again, 
please stand beside us because we are doing it for you. Yes, it means another delay for you, but if we don't um, stop this now, it's only going to get worse and worse and the the delays in appointments, etc., are going to get longer and longer. Someone somewhere along the line has to say, we have to do a whole lot better and that's what nurses are doing for their communities and for themselves and for their patients right now. And Daniels, thanks so much for taking some time to join us here on ORFM to, to give us a nurse's perspective uh, on uh, the current negotiations. Um, I'm sure all New Zealanders hope that it is resolved in a way that meets uh, the nation's needs as well as your own. Thanks for being with us here on ORFM. I appreciate your support. Thank you very much. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.